0: I invite you to turn in your Bible this evening again to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to continue in our study of 1 Peter chapter 4 as Peter's writing to a struggling church, a suffering church, a church that's going to face increasing opposition and persecution in the world. And tonight we're going to look specifically at verse 13. And 12, through, 12, 13, and 14, excuse me, of chapter 4. So we'll um, pick it up at verse 12, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Let's give our attention to God's Word tonight from First Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of Christ and, and God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, our God, thank you that you speak through your word and that you speak to us tonight. I pray that you give us ears to hear. Lord, uh, this is such a critical message uh, for our day, and I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our, our life and our heart, that we would see the glory of what it means to be a Christian, uh, and uh, Lord, that we would be stretched in our faith, that we would understand the, uh, the place you've given in our faith for suffering. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message tonight is a, a category for suffering, a category for suffering. Um, one of the things that weighs on um, my heart as a pastor is that as I look out at the American church, I suppose in particular, uh, it seems to me that the American church is um, ill-prepared for trials, uh, ill-prepared for um, suffering, great suffering. And so I'd like to take our time uh, to go through these last verses in chapter 4. We won't get through them all tonight. Uh, I want to take our time because I think it's a a critical message for the church uh, of today. Uh, You don't have to be a news hound uh, to realize that things are changing rapidly in the world around us. Uh, You don't... um, You have to be blind and deaf not to see uh, and hear the things that are are taking place. And that, uh, though I'm no prophet or nor a prophet's son, it it seems to me very likely that the church of Jesus Christ is going to face increased trial. Uh, It seems likely to me that uh, the American nation is going to face suffering, Uh, maybe suffering unlike uh, anything we've known for a very, very long time. Uh, I just can't imagine that. A nation that exalts itself up in in the face of God, the way that uh, that our nation has been doing, uh, is not going to experience consequences. and And throughout the history of the world, uh, when God brings judgment on a nation, um, that His people suffer along with uh, the rest. And so, um, again. I, I, it just seems to me those are the things that we're facing, and, and one of my greatest concerns is that, that God's people be prepared, uh, because the Bible tells us that those who, who do not have a category for suffering, those who don't have a category in the way they think about God and in the way they think about faith, in the way that they think about being a Christian, if you do not have a category there uh, that includes intense suffering, un, uh, unimaginable suffering, Uh, It's going to be uh, devastating to your faith, and uh, I think that's exactly why Jesus says in the last days, many will fall away on account of me when trials come. It's not that they suddenly have discovered that Jesus uh, is not divine or uh, that he didn't die for sinners. Um, there's going to be something about the, the the reality of the suffering itself that is simply not compatible with what they had thought Christianity was. And it will no longer be plausible to believe in a God who allows for such awful things to happen. And, and they'll give up the faith. And so uh, we're going to just take our time. I, I, I think it's important for us to... To think seriously about suffering, Peter has been talking about it quite a bit, if you remember, Uh, he's he's writing to people who are exiles, God's elect exiles scattered in the world, and he's reminded them that they've been called to suffer, uh, that they're called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, and that Jesus suffered for us. So he's had a lot to say about living in the the reality of of suffering, and uh, these are words that we need to hear. Uh, You are going to experience suffering in your life. You're going to experience uh, severe suffering. Uh, and, and the reality, we need to talk about this because we live in a culture that really doesn't understand suffering. And we'll be looking at that in more detail in a moment. Uh, and we're affected by that culture. Uh, we live in strange days. I hope you understand that if you think about the history of the world, we have more conveniences, more comforts, more, um, more things to pamper or make our life enjoyable. Than, than anyone in the, really in the history of the world as a society, and yet um, if you if you again if you if you're paying attention to news stories, anxiety is is ever on the uprise. People are miserable. People are anxious. People are fearful. Um, why? Well, we, I think increasingly people don't have categories for suffering. Uh, Tim Keller, he wrote a book several years back, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, pointed out that we are more shocked and undone by suffering than were our ancestors. In medieval Europe, one in five died before age one. One in two died before age ten. One in two. So John Owen had ten children. Nine of them died in infancy. One survived. Uh, to adulthood. Uh, that was not unusual. And so there, there was a uh, living with the reality of sorrow and death in, in that day that um, we don't know today and uh, so often are uh, not prepared then. Keller makes the point that uh, he believes that our culture, American, American Christians, not just American society out there, but he believes that American Christians um, are affected with the worst possible pre-existing condition to encounter suffering. American Christians have the worst possible pre-existing condition to encounter suffering. Why would he say that? Well, we'll take a look at that. I'd like to start with just a little testimony from a couple named Martha and Mark. Martha writes, as my husband Mark sits in his wheelchair, unable to move anything but his eyes, and that becoming increasingly difficult, we are approaching the 10-year point in our journey. It began with a small muscle twitch when Mark was 48 years old, and within a month, our doctor had diagnosed the cause as Lou Gehrig's disease. We had been married 25 years, had four children. We'd always been an active family, so Mark's quick physical demise was devastating. When Mark got sick, I fell into a black hole of despair. I didn't know how I was going to live through the pain of the coming days. This is Mark, who writes at a computer that is able to capture eye movement. I played sports in my younger years, and I always hated sitting on the bench. One day, just after my diagnosis, I cried out to God that, though I, w- that I thought I was being pulled out of the game uh, when I still had something to offer. His response seemed to me to say this, you have been on the sidelines for some time. You are just now going into the game. I'm hanging on to the truth that God is doing much that I can't see, and that in His economy, this suffering is worth it. But it, it's a it is a daily exercise of faith, and that's what Peter calls us to. Uh, we read from Philippians where Paul talks about uh, it's a losing everything is is so worth it to gain Christ and to share in His suffering. When's the last time you heard a Christian talk like that? When's the last time we've talked like that, that um, we are um, eager to share in the suffering of Christ? How do, you, how do you get there? Well, Peter writes, do not, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, those are not the words that we would like to hear when we're facing a trial, but um, when the doctor comes in and says, don't be surprised, uh, face it, you're just getting old, or face it. This is just what happens in the world. That's not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is, this is the disease, and here's the pill, and it'll take it away. There's a quick, painless, di- you know, little, a little procedure we will do, and we'll have you on your way in a moment. That's what we want to hear. Uh, it would be nice if Peter would write, Christians, I know it's, it's a little rough right now, but hang in there. It's going to get better very, very soon. It's not what he says. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial as though something strange were happening to you. He says, this is normal Christianity. This is what it is about. This is what we signed up for. This is what we've been called into. I remember, uh, for better or for worse, a movie, it was a long time ago with Goldie Hawn, uh, when she signed up for the military because she was in just a very depressive state and she walked past the... The, the office and saw the posters of going and traveling the world. She thought, that's what I need. I just need to get away. So she signs up and she's in boot camp and the drill sergeant is screaming instructions at her and Goldie um, politely says, excuse me, I, I think I ended up in the wrong army. And the drill instructor was all over that. And she said, well, I, I signed up for the one where you, you travel places and you, you have adventures. <laughs> and, and many Christians, I think, when they come to suffering, feel like somehow they got into the wrong they got into the wrong part of Christianity. We signed up for the one where God makes you in right, upright, downright happy all the time. Remember that song we sang? in Phoebe? I'm in right, out right, upright, downright happy all the time." Greatest lie maybe we ever told, but that was the that's <laughs> that's what they taught us to sing. And 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 many people think that's what Christianity. That's the one we signed up for, where God does these things for you. And then the suffering happens. And Peter pronoun- uses a strong word. He says, "Don't be surprised at this fiery trial." Greek, it's one word. Pyrosis, you get the word fire, right? Pyrosis. Don't be surprised by the burning. It's meant to convey something that is extremely painful, something that's overwhelming, something awful, something you wouldn't wish on anyone, much less experience yourself. And he says, Don't be surprised because it's it's going to come and it's already they're starting to experience it. They're, they're losing jobs because they they. Were converted to Christ. They're losing their families, and in those days, your family was your world. And they're being removed from your the fa- your family because of your faith in Christ. Some are being imprisoned and falsely accused. And then they're also experiencing all the normal tragedies that happen as we live in a, in a fallen world. Children are dying young. Dreadful diseases come and wound and maim and, and uh, relationships are difficult and broken. And, and it's hard. It's, it's, it's extremely hard. And Peter says, beloved, dear children, don't be surprised. Why would he say that? Because we are surprised. We're almost always surprised. We're surprised when the fiery trial comes to us. Uh, suffering happens to other people. You read about it in the newspapers. You see it on the television. And that you see that other people suffer devastating losses. Sometimes you even know them, but it's always someone else. They, they get the terminal disease. Other people lose their loved ones and, and their dreams, and they lose their health and their freedom in, in tragic and heartbreaking ways. And while we all have an intellectual understanding that that could possibly happen to us, we've sort of calculated the risks, and we've determined that most likely it won't happen to us. I mean, not real suffering, the kind that shatters your life, the kind that leaves you just numb and reeling. That sort of suffering happens to other people, and and so people are always surprised when it happens to them. And people are surprised at how much it hurts. I So often you'll hear someone in in the moment uh, express surprise at how painful it is, that they'd never imagined that you could have this much pain and still be alive. C.S. Lewis, when he lost his wife, wrote, in a grief observed, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. He was surprised at how the loss of his beloved wife overwhelmed everything in his life. He wrote, her absence is like the sky, it covers everything. And we're surprised because at some level, I think we had assumed that God wouldn't do this to us. When you're a Christian you experience great trials and great suffering in a unique way because it, it forces you to deal with the character and the nature of God. It, it forces us to reexamine our assumptions about what God is like and what God is willing to do to his own children. I've heard people say, I could, I could never believe in a God like that. What parent would be allowed to do to his children what God does to his? And that's that's an understandable question. Lewis again points out that one of the reasons God brings suffering, as Peter writes here, to test you, it's so that we can, we can re-examine what, what did we actually believe about God, about what God promised, about what God was like and what God is up to. Lewis says God has to shatter our false notions of who he is in order that we can understand who he truly is. See, that's a, that's a, that's a painful process. And, and if you're not prepared, um, you can lose your faith. I think one of the reasons so many Christians in World War II in Europe lost their faith, the faith of so many people perished during the war is because they could not reconcile the suffering that they saw and the assumptions they had made concerning God's place and his ways in the world. Ellie Witzel in The Night, he's a Jewish man, he was in Auschwitz, and he vividly describes how the very first night in a Nazi death camp devastated him and his faith. He said, he wrote, "It, it turned my life, that first night turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. He looked at the furnaces burning up human beings including little children, turning them into wreaths of smoke. He says, The fires of those furnaces utterly destroyed my faith in God. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. He, He believed in God as a Jewish man. But his God... Uh, he could not reconcile with the reality of what he saw. And many Christians have that same experience. I remember someone talking to me about, and this was a very, this was a pastor. And when he suffered a tragedy in his life, he admitted that he lost his faith for an entire year. We are surprised. But Peter writes, don't be As though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's not out of the blue. It's not out of the ordinary. It's it's not contrary to the way things are supposed to be. We have to have a robust category for the, the reality, the presence, and the purpose of God in trials. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening. Keller makes the point in his book that every culture uh, devises some way of making sense of suffering. It depends on your worldview. He says some have a a moralistic worldview and the idea of karma is an example of that. The idea that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. But suffering makes moral sense in that universe. It, It follows a moral order. And if you are suffering, it's either because you did something wrong in this life or possibly in a previous life, but if you suffer well, you can ensure better karma for your future. This is, uh, interestingly, that's Job's friend's view in the book of Job. Job, you wouldn't be experiencing this if you hadn't done something wrong. You're suffering. We know that suffering only happens to bad people. It makes sense that way, and so just be honest. Tell us, tell us what you did wrong. That was their whole argument. And God, in the end, of course, uh, utterly rebukes them. Others have a dualistic worldview where we're just in this world, there's light, there's darkness, there's good, there's evil, sort of a Star Wars mentality. And, um, you know, that suffering happens in the conflict. We're just collateral damage. Uh, There's not a real reason for it except that there's this conflict going on and we get caught up in it. It's a fatalistic worldview. Suffering is just what is. It's just, it's just what God wills. Islam leans hard in that direction. right? The, the Muslim response to personal suffering is Allah wills it. And the good Muslim then is willing to accept it because that's obedience to Allah. Allah honors those who accept his will. And so their suffering at least has a value. It can, it can enhance your, your future uh, experience and destiny. And so all these different worldviews agree that Suffering is difficult, but suffering is an expected part of life. Suffering fits in some understanding of the way that the world is. And there's there's an assumption that it has some value, some role to play in our life. Every worldview except, Keller points out, the Western secular worldview. We're trying a brand new experience, uh, experiment in that sense where uh, having removed God in any meaningful sense from the cultural conversation, uh, eliminating transcendent realities and insisting that, that all that really matters and is real are things that can be material and seen, now we, we face suffering with, with, in a brand new way. So that suffering has no meaning, it has no value, and our goal is simply to prevent it and avoid it Uh, In whatever way that we can, a Boston review, uh, Larissa McFarquhar, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, but she she noted in in a a piece the difference between how religious people and secular people face suffering. She says, I think that with many religious traditions, there is much more of an acceptance of, of suffering as a part of life, and it's not necessarily a terrible thing because it can help you become a fuller person. Whereas, at least in my experience, secular utilitarians hate suffering. They see nothing good in it. They want to eliminate it, and they see themselves as responsible for doing so. See, our cultural assumption is that suffering does not have any value. It can't enhance one's life because it's an impediment to things that we equate with life. If you ask the common American person, what, what is essential to living, to life. And their answers are going to orbit around uh, the pursuit of personal freedom and happiness. And so if you, if you uh, put an obstacle in front of happiness or personal freedom, personal expression, there's no way that can be helpful. It's nothing but an obstacle. There, I read it several years ago a book that's actually now just become a movie, I think, uh, Me Before You. Look, I, don't know, I was on vacation or somewhere, and I was looking for something to, uh, uh, to read, and so I picked this up, and um, it was a nice story about a, a quadriplegic who, he was a man of the world. He had everything, and then a, a tragic accident um, put him in a wheelchair, and he couldn't do anything for himself, and and uh, this young girl comes along to help take care of him, and of course, um, he's a, he's mean and ornery, and, and so she falls in love. That's how it works in, in novels. <laughs> it doesn't work that way in real life, but... Um, so she falls in love with him, and and he has made a plan to uh, to commit suicide, to go to a place and to be put to death, because his life is meaningless. He can't pursue. Um, pleasure as he once did he he can't make his own choices the way he once did and so life has no significance has no meaning well she naively thought that if she loved him that love could be a sufficient uh, reason to live and she proceeded on that premise but then at the end and yes I'm spoiling the movie for you he commits suicide and she agrees to it she consents why because she's a secular humanist just like he is and you see the worldview dictates the outcome they both assumed as a given the author of the book assumes as a given that that the meaning of life is the pursuit of pleasure and the freedom to make your own choices and if you can't have that suffering cannot have any a redemptive value And that you need to simply allow people then to avoid suffering at whatever cost, even taking of their own life. In fact, it becomes almost an honorable thing. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's where you end up with if there's no God. And, and um, your self-choice, right, I'll do it my way. If that's the essence of life, that's where you end up. And that's where our culture is. And so, uh, and, it's a, and it's a huge hit, I suppose, uh, right now. I guess the, the, um, it's doing well in the box office. So that's where we live as a culture. We're affected by our culture. We've come to accept that suffering is an obstacle to happiness and that suffering, um, we do have the power in many ways to eradicate it. If, if, If we just have the proper education, proper legislation, the right government program, the right technological advancement, the right scientific breakthrough, the right medical achievement, that we believe that suffering can largely be... Uh, avoided and eradicated. On a personal level, right, if we just have the right insurance, if we take the right precautions, if you follow the right diet and exercise regimen and use the right investment strategies, marry the right person, send your kids to the right school, you can have the good life. That's the assumption that we have in the West. And if something goes wrong, then it just means you made a mistake. We don't question that suffering is just a reality that God has brought. But you must have married the wrong spouse. You must have chosen the wrong broker. You picked the wrong career, the wrong insurance company, the wrong school. And then you see, if you're a Christian, there's one more layer of, of, of assumption here. Is that, that to have the good life, you need to make all the right choices here. And then to top it all, you have God to help you. And you have preachers all over this country. promise you that's exactly what God wants to do. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to flourish. He wants you to thrive. And that's what Keller says is the poison in the American church. He says, we see ourselves as able to control our destiny, and we see God as obligated to arrange things for our benefit, especially if we live a good enough life, according to our own chosen standards. Many people within this mindset would call themselves Christians. But secularization thins out traditional belief, and this secularized belief in God may be the worst possible pre-existing condition in which to encounter suffering. So I say all that just to say we need to realize that we are profoundly handicapped culturally when it comes to uh, suffering. We're, we're handicapped as a church. And it's essential that we, that we let the Word of God train our minds and our hearts because suffering will come. It will come. It always comes. Peter says, don't be surprised. But then there's a command. And it's a it's a wonderful command. It's a it's a it's a beautiful gospel command. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is this is this is a strange take on suffering. And he's not just prattling off cheap platitudes. This is a man who, who's, who suffers. He has suffered, and he, and he, and he knows he's, that he's going to. Rejoice, he says, insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. You see, we tend to think of suffering almost completely in, in uh, relationship to the fall. And so when suffering happens, we, we remind ourselves it's a broken world. It's a fallen world. It's a world under the curse. And that's all true. But notice, that's not what Peter points to. Peter associates suffering with redemption, with God making everything new in Jesus Christ. He associates suffering with victory, not fall. He links it even to consummation, that you may be glad, that you might rejoice and be glad when His Glory is revealed. So the, so the reality of Jesus Christ coming into this world is the, is the, the thing that, that unlocks an entirely new way of thinking about suffering and experiencing suffering. And this was the thing that confuses and confounds the world. That people are willing to suffer, even glad to suffer, as Christians, as, as those who belong to God. I love when Daniel and his three, his three, his three friends are thrown into the furnace. Daniel's three friends. The king is, he's threatening them. Listen, if you don't bow down to this thing, I'm gonna be throwing you into the furnace. And remember the response? Okay, basically, King. I mean, if that's what you gotta do, but we're not bound down to it. Because our God is able to deliver us. But whether he delivers us or not, we're not going to exalt, and give you worship that belongs to God and God alone. We're not going to do it. And so the king, they call his bluff. And so what does he do? He throws them in the furnace. And the guys that throw them in, what happens? They die because the furnace is so hot. And then somebody says, King, there's somebody else in there. They're not consumed. They're not destroyed. And they're not abandoned. Someone is with them in the furnace. Remember what Paul says. I want you to know how hard it was. We were beaten down, but we were persecuted, but we were not abandoned. We were not destroyed. That's the experience of God's people. That's the confidence of God's people. That Jesus Christ has in Jesus Christ, God has entered this world of suffering. He's come to suffer with us and to rescue us. He's come to completely change the game. He's given us the opportunity to rejoice and be glad as we share in his suffering. There's, I won't to really get into all that tonight, maybe the next time we get into this. But that, that as we even suffer the normal trials of life in faith, as a child of God, trusting in him, believing that he's able to hold us and that, that this has some purpose in God's sovereign good plan. As we read our trials through the lens of the cross, we suffer and share in Christ's sufferings. It's, it's not, it's, there's nothing meaningless about it. And Peter calls us then to rejoice as we share in Christ's suffering. Mark Testify to this, the man in the wheelchair. He says, I sing hymns in African American spirituals in my head because I've not been able to speak for these last eight years. Many hymns are about suffering and they speak deeply to my need for a sense of God's presence with me in the midst of my pain. Recently, I've been diagnosed with terminal liver disease. Some say that I'm unfairly suffering, but the only one who suffered unfairly was Jesus. His separation from the Father on the cross is far beyond anything I could ever experience. How can I complain when he went through cosmic pain for me? He says, I remember a story of a man who was terminally ill who said that the sweetness of his life with God as a result of his illness he wouldn't trade for many more years. I have found that to be true in my life as well. That's the incredible testimony of God's people that God is faithful. God is faithful. Keller writes, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers us to sit in the midst of life's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Tasting the coming joy. And so Peter writes, rejoice because you're blessed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God is rests upon you god is with you god will hold you up god will hold you fast he will keep you but we need we need friends to hold to him in faith and again in the strength that god provides trials will come day they might come this week they're they're always devastating they're 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 difficult they're heartbreaking And we need to be sensitive to the pain. We need to to embrace each other in the pain. But what we need more than anything, friends, we need to have our eyes fixed on this Jesus Christ, the one who's come to suffer with us and come and suffer for us, the one who promises us that he has a purpose, He, he knows what he's about, that we can trust him, and one day there's a consummation, that our suffering is not linked to the fall as much as it's linked to redemption and to a coming consummation. And so we keep our eyes fixed on that. May God grant us the ability. Let's pray. God, you know what you've ordained for each one of us. Some of us tonight are in the context of sorrow, of a deep grief, of a loss, or a broken relationship. Some of us, Lord, know daily fear. Some of us know daily pain. Some of us, Lord, are gripped with anxiety Oh, God, we need need our faith to be strengthened and stretched and developed so that, God, we we read your providence through the cross of Jesus Christ, and that we, we recognize we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be anxious. We can cast all of our cares upon you. We can even rejoice as we suffer as Christians. Oh God, I pray that you would prepare us, that we would suffer in a way that honors you. But I thank you, Lord, that you promise to be with us, that you will keep us as we look to you. And so Lord, bless then this word to our life, that Jesus Christ would receive the praise. In his name we ask it, amen.